Uh, we're continuing, as Dave said in his intro, we're continuing our series of Genesis, uh, looking at the opening pages of the Bible to see some basic biblical truth. Last week we talked about life, uh, that all life, the major theme of life, all life has intrinsic value. God doesn't do anything without purpose and he creates nothing without purpose. And everything that we have, everything that we see is created by Almighty God. The plants, the animals, uh, the birds, the bugs, everything God created and he created for a purpose and it has value. We also learned that human life has intrinsic distinctive worth because we alone were made in the image of God. Uh, all spiritual beings, uh, all, all mankind is spiritual beings with uh, the knowledge of the ability to choose between right and wrong. We're moral beings with an innate sense of right and wrong. Uh, we are superior beings. We have dominion over the rest of creation. Now last week, I ran into some people who had a little bit different, different, di a little bit different definition than I did. I was running a race over in Versailles, Kentucky, started at a horse farm, ran through some beautiful lanes by some other horse farms. And the race director said at the beginning of the race, now these horses are a little delicate, so we need you to be quiet as you run by these horse farms. Well, I'm not alone in this. I may have a greater uh, capacity than others, but I do a lot of wheezing and panting when I run. You might too. But as we went by these horse farms, they literally had volunteers out by the road shushing the runners. The horses are delicate. The horses are sensitive. And I'm thinking, God gave us dominion over all of these things, even those gorgeous animals. But let's admit it, we are, and let's stand on faith here, we are the crown of God's creation. We're his masterpiece. We have distinctive worth from the moment of conception until our very last breath. We have value and we matter distinctively. We also said that human life is fragile, that God did breathe into man the breath of life, but he formed a man's body out of the dust of the earth. And we know that to the dust of the earth, these bodies will one day return. Well, those are the truths that we study from the first couple of chapters. We're going to turn the page today and go to Genesis chapter 3 and look at another truth. This is the big theme that we're calling the curse. The curse. And chapter 3 tells us all about it. Now, things were going so well for God the Creator and for the earth, for the plants and the animals that He made, for man, and He took uh, uh, from His side... The makings for the woman to be at his side, to cleave together after man and wife. And things were going great for these totally unafraid, unashamed humans freely roaming the garden. Meeting with God in the cool of the day. It was a perfect arrangement. It was just beautiful as they met with God for fellowship. It was a utopia. Everything was just in harmony and perfect. Even communication between the man and the wife would flow freely and clearly. It's not that way as easily today. You can put a couple of ladies together or three or four together or they happen to get together and they do this talking and you could tell it's all making sense and it's all going right. They, they know what's going on. But if you guys, if you would try to listen to some of that, you would think, what in the world 
is that conversation. Words have different meaning. They just, they don't always mean the same. For example, and, and I've, I, I don't know this from experience, not in my home, but I've observed this. When a lady says five minutes, it all depends what's going on. If she's getting dressed, five minutes is 30 minutes. But if you're watching a ball game and she says we need to leave in five minutes, that means you've got three or maybe four. That's what it means. Fine. When a woman says fine, that means this discussion is over. I've won. You need to keep your trap shut. That's, that's what it means. Uh, an endorsement. Nothing. When she says nothing, that's the calm before the storm. Nothing means something, and you better be on your toes. Discussions that begin with nothing usually end up with fine, fine, and go ahead. <laughs> when she says go ahead, that's not permission. That's a dare. That's a dare. Don't do it. But before, before the fall, Adam and Eve, the relationship with the, in the garden, their relationship, their conversation, meeting with God in the cool of the evening, everything was totally perfect harmony. The relationships were joyous, but something happened. And John Milton, English poet from the 17th century, wrote what some call, consider, the greatest poem ever written in English language. It's a 10 volume or maybe more volume set of this poem, but he simply entitles it, Paradise Lost. And that's what happened. These two new humans in this garden disobeyed God and were kicked out. But they weren't alone. They had help in this process. And the book of Revelation, we're going to take a look at later in the summer or maybe, maybe in the fall. Just like we're looking at Genesis now, we'll look at Revelation. And the writer of Revelation, John, wrote in the 12th chapter, in the 9th verse, this about that Satan. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, John says. John records in his gospel the words of Jesus in chapter 8, verse 44 of John. He said, he is a liar. This is Satan. He is a liar and the father of lies. This is the new main character that enters into human history. And this is how he's set up. The Bible says in, in Isaiah 14, now the scripture doesn't answer our every question about sin and evil and this battle in heaven. We don't have all of the answers, but we do have glimpses. And Isaiah 14 tells us about this angelic being, this Satan, before the creation of the world, being consumed with pride, being consumed with arrogance, being jealous of God Most High, wanted that throne for himself. And as an angelic being, Satan had free will. He had choice. He could have chosen to obey God, or he could choose to disobey, and he chose to disobey. We read about that conflict even more in the book of Revelation, which we'll see later uh, down the road. But in the 12th chapter of Revelation, the writer there talks about Michael, the archangel, leading the army of faithful angels against Satan and some disobedient angels in this heavenly conflict for the, the control of the throne. And they were all thrown down. Satan, his followers, they were all expelled uh, from heaven. 
Again, we don't have all the answers, but we do have these pictures throughout Scripture. And Jesus says, when he's, he was there, Jesus, Jesus is beyond definition of time. Jesus saw Satan fall like lightning with force from the heavens. And those angels that followed him, look at what 2 Peter writes. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 says this. For God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. Now all of that happened, this, this battle, this struggle that we're talking about, all happened before Adam and Eve. Now, God is a God of love and free will. He can do anything He wants at any time that He wants, but He's a God of love, so He's going to do the right thing. He created intelligent beings, angels, humans, and He gave us that free will as well, and, and the capacity to make choices. And that's the only way, really, to have a love relationship is to be able to choose that. If you don't have a choice... It's a perfunctory relationship or an ob uh, uh, obligatory. It's not a love relationship. So this is what's beginning to happen as we enter Genesis 3. Satan didn't have a form of his own, so he took the form of this serpent and he slid into the garden. And then we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. This is what it says as we read through verse 5. He, meaning Satan, he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, uh, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, I want us to be aware of three tactics that Satan uses in this approach to Eve because he uses those same tactics today. And the first is, he uh, provokes confusion about God's Word. Notice what he said. Did God actually say that? Is that really what he said? Is that really what he meant? Are you sure you're not misunderstanding that somewhere? And I think that's a fair question because we misunderstand once in a while don't we? And we're misunderstood once in a while. I love the story that James Dobson tells about the young mother who was on her phone in the family room while her two kids, uh, a, a three-year-old, I'm sorry, a, a five, three-year-old, I think she's three, three, three-year-old daughter, uh, Adrian, and five-month-old Nathan, uh, they were playing in the same room and, the, and, and mom was busy on the phone concentrating on that and after a little bit she realized those kids were not in that room any longer. So she put the phone down and started looking frantically for the debris and the damage. And she didn't see them in the front areas at all. So she went down the hall and there in Adrian's room, she found them. Now little Adrian loved to be the big sister. And she loved to even mommy the, the little boys a lot. And, and the mom said when she went back there, she said, you know, you know you're not supposed to carry your brother. He's too small. He could get hurt. And she said, I didn't carry him, Mom. And Mom knew that the little guy was too small to crawl. He wasn't crawling yet. He certainly wasn't walking. And so skeptically she said, Well, then how did he get, how did you get all the way to your room? She said, I rolled him. I rolled him. 
Well, he's still alive, and they're still good friends, but something between the instruction and the execution, it was, it was missing. They, it wasn't clear. They didn't understand. And that's what Satan was trying to do to Eve. Are you sure you understood? Don't you think maybe that that was misstated, or maybe you misheard or misunderstood? Uh, and besides, Satan even misquoted what God said. What God said was from the second chapter, verses 16 and 17. And God said, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you, uh, that you eat, you will surely die. God had told them they could eat of every tree except this one. At least Satan would not be able to pull that entirely over on Eve. She remembered almost word for word what God's instruction was. But can't you see that? Can't you see Satan trying to get a little bit of confusion started so that if he does, if he can get just the seed of confusion started, he might be able to get a foothold or even an open doorway into nudging them down that path of disobedience. And he's still using that tactic today. Just think about a Christian man or a woman or a, a, a Christian of, of some description having a life challenge and they go to a counselor for advice and direction. And the counselor says, well, I know you're a Christian, but, but God's word really isn't, isn't real clear on everything. And, and besides, it's kind of outlived its usefulness. I mean, you've got to be realistic here, logical, right? Use your intelligence. It's kind of outlived its relevance. So really, whatever decision you choose to make will, will be the right one, and that would be okay. Confusion. He has another tactic. Uh, he encourages speculation about God's Word. Satan said, you're not surely going to die. That's nonsense. You, you can't buy into that. He tries to get them to think God's Word, God's spoken Word, cannot be trusted. And he's using the same strategy today. If he can convince us that it, God's Word is outdated or doesn't apply to my circumstances, then we can just toss it out. And do whatever we choose to do. Now a couple of weeks ago, Brian mentioned right here that there is an estimated 180 million Christians in our country that have no association of any kind with the church. Not 180 million Christians, but 180 million Christians, call themselves Christians, who have no connection with the church of any kind. And I think this is where a lot of those are living. They've fallen prey to this speculation about God's Word. Uh, heaven is real, and, and, and God is a God of love. So anybody who has love is going to heaven, right? You know, scripture talks about anybody that has Jesus goes to heaven. It's not so much about love. I mean, you've got to love. You've got to love Jesus. We can't love Him unless we love us. I mean, that's all a part of it. But there's so many people that believe that heaven is real who have no conception that hell is too. God is, is, is trying to fight this battle against Satan's uh, encouragement uh, to speculate about His Word. And when we begin to speculate about His truth, we're bringing on serious, eternal consequences. One more quick tactic that we want to look at, and that's he invites ambition to replace God's Word. Look at what he told the woman in verse 5, if you remember that. Don't worry about God, and this is a paraphrase, don't worry about God. He knows when you eat from this tree, you're just going to be more like Him, and He doesn't want you to have everything that you're entitled to have. 
And I'm reminded of what Satan, this same Satan, said to Jesus in Matthew the fourth chapter in the desert, in the wilderness temptations, when he said, if you'll bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And that's basically what he was offering Eve right here. You can be like God. You can be like God. Now that sounds pretty good. And it might be pretty good for the here and now, but there's going to be a hereafter that where that concept or that mindset will bring great pain. So these, these age-old tactics of confusion, speculation, and ambition, and he uses them for one purpose, to get us to choose evil over good. Don't fall for it. Paul wrote to the Ephesians regarding this very thing. It's uh, chapter 6 of Ephesians, verses 10 through 12. He says, Be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of His might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in high places. That's not our, that's not our enemy. Our enemy is this, these spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So what happened to Adam and Eve? We know exactly what happened to them. Because we're still feeling the effects of their sin today. It's Adam and Eve, not Eve, but Adam and Eve. Because he also partook in the disobedience. Well, let's follow that up. Let's go on to uh, Genesis 3, uh, verse 6 and following. And this is what, how the story continues. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit, and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And when they heard the sound of the Lord's walking, uh, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord said to the woman, What is that that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. You know what happened next? You know what happened next? Peace was lost. God's presence was lost. Paradise was lost. Man had it made in the shade, had it made in Maui, had it made in Bali, had it made in the tropics, had it made on the mountain, wherever your picture of perfection is, they had it made, but they blew it, and so God sent them out of the garden, and now they live in a hostile world. Over time, they both began to notice wrinkles, they both developed uh, blisters and blemishes, mankind began to age and bodies began to break down now. You may be like me, I look, like to look at old pictures. You like to look at old pictures, go back and see how things were, how people looked. You know, it hit me the other day, those pictures weren't old when they were taken. They're old because I'm old. 
I've gotten old. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Eve. I'm so old. I can remember when emojis were called hieroglyphics. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? And you know you're getting old when you sink your teeth into a steak and they stay. You know you're getting old when you try to go for a bike ride and your hind end keeps getting stuck in the spokes. Oh, I heard a guy the other day, and I, I love this. He said, if my body were a car, I would trade it in for a newer model because every time I cough or wheeze, my radiator leaks and my exhaust backfires. Now give that some thought. Think that one over. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Eve. Every, the, now, now they lived in a hostile world. Animals became wild and ferocious predators. Thorns and thistles began to grow. I don't know that they even knew what a thorn or a thistle was. But they do now. They do now. Taking care of the land wasn't easy anymore. They were outside of the garden. Adam had to sweat to take care of the garden. His muscles got sore. His body fatigued. He was weary. And that wasn't the worst part. The relationship wasn't as easy anymore. In fact, now... They had to work on their relationship. They had to make it work. They had to compromise. They had to concede. Now this beautiful person that they were once married, now they had contrary opinions. And she had to experience pain of childbirth that, fellas, we cannot imagine. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Eve. And in their hearts, they must have been feeling some guilt and shame and regret. Think about the evening or the, the cool of the day, the, the day after they were kicked out of that garden. Maybe, maybe Adam kind of ventured out a little bit and in the cool of the evening, hoping and expecting that fellowship with God that he'd experienced every day of his life before. And he went over, and he, but God didn't show up. And so he, goes, he goes over to the gates of the garden thinking, well, maybe, I, maybe God will meet me here. Or maybe he would go on in to where that tree of life was. Maybe God will meet me there. But he got to the, to, he, as he approached, he could see the angel, the cherubim that God had placed with that flaming sword. The flaming sword that flashed every which way. And Adam couldn't go. Imagine, imagine the crushing guilt that he would feel knowing that from that moment on, Life and his world, his world and now our world, will never be the same. There are times when the crushing weight of a decision that we make, we, we may not know that immediately. You just think about, imagine with me if you will, just imagine with me if you will, a word spoken in haste in a home between a man and, a, and, and his wife or a, you, know, a, 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 you and your best friend. You didn't mean it for it to come out that harsh, that heavy, but it landed hard. And you didn't realize the impact until they didn't take your call the next day. Or they didn't show up when you were looking for them. Or you say a harsh word to your child, just meaning it to be a, t a corrective word or instructional uh, word, but it, ca it came out wrong, it came out heavy, and it landed badly. And you didn't think much of it until uh, the next time you encountered that child, they kind of backed away shyly. Or you get upset at work and you just think, I, I'm not going to deal with this, I don't have to deal with this. And so you tell your boss you're done. 
But the next day or the next few days, you think it over and you kind of go back in with your tail between your legs and your security card, your clearance card doesn't work any longer. Maybe, maybe it's weeks later when it hits you when you've not been able to find a replacement job. But that's the way it goes. We don't always, we're not always aware immediately of the consequences of the decisions we make. And I wonder if Adam and Eve thought that the world would go on just like it had. When they didn't die instantly, maybe they thought, well, maybe Satan was right. Maybe we're not surely going to die. That slow process maybe just didn't kick in. But then they realized that it's not going to blow over. And the realizations sunk in. What have we done? But I love this. I, I love this. God gave them hope. And he gave them hope of all ways, of all, by all means, he gave them hope through a curse. I want to point out right here, right now, that God did not curse the man or the woman. First of all, he cursed the devil himself. Look at Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15. He says, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. And uh, dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head, but you will bruise his heel. So he didn't curse the man or the woman. He cursed the devil. And then in the 17th verse, we see that he cursed the ground. And he told Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And, and, and so the question, do you see hope in that curse? Right here at the beginning, in, in verses 14 and 15, God determines Satan's fate for all eternity. And he even told us how he would accomplish it. Through the son, lineagely speaking, if lineagely is a word, but through the, the lineage of this woman Eve, her son, her lineage, Jesus will be born and he will crush your head. Yeah, you'll strike his heel and that happened at Calvary. That happened and Jesus had to go through the pain of the cross and death and, and Satan struck his heel, but Jesus will crush his head. For all eternity, Satan's fate is determined and he knows it. And Jesus, even though he had to go through that pain, death couldn't hold our Lord. Couldn't hold him. And so the cursing of the ground, we also see God's mercy. Not only did he curse Satan, but he cursed the ground. And he could have cursed Adam and Eve for their sin and their rebellion. But he didn't. His anger was deflected in, into the ground. God is good. And even though we, lived in a, we live in a cursed world, a fallen world, and we see tragedy happen uh, more often than we would like to admit, uh, but it reminds us that it's this world that's cursed. It's this earth that's cursed. It's not us. That curse is not on us. Paul writes it this way. And this was our, our uh, focus verse. We, we shared it earlier together. And I love these, uh, these two verses. Romans 8, 22 and 23. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We live in a fallen world, a cursed earth, but God has provided a way to be saved through the blood of the one who crushed the head eternally of Satan. And for those of us who have trusted Christ for our eternity, we wait eagerly for his return. Will you bow with me together? God, thank you for these moments that we've been able to share. And we just thank you for your presence among us. We thank you for your spirit within us. And Lord, we're just so thankful that we serve a mighty God who will never be defeated. Lord, you have won the battle. We have won the battle because Christ Jesus is our victor. And Lord, we just pray that you will help us to look at the tricks, the deceits, the wiles of Satan, knowing that he's a powerful enemy. He is our foe. But Lord, you're so much greater. And so we lean on your strength, the foundation of your word, the leading of your spirit. And we just pray that you would lead us in victory from this moment until you call us to be with you. And Lord, we pray now that as we enter this time of response, that all of us might consider our obedience to you, or maybe our disobedience to you. May we repurpose our lives with loyalty to the one who created us, gave us value, and to the one who gives us an eternal invitation. And Lord, we just pray that you would uh, lead us now as we uh, move to respond, that we will honor you in these moments. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to uh, sing one more song. And if, if you want to talk to someone, even where you are, I'll be up here to your right. Someone about your next step in knowing who God is, knowing His plan for you, knowing the steps you need to take. I'll be glad to talk with you, whether that's about baptism or this becoming your church home, uh, needing prayer, whatever you need. Speak to someone. Speak to me. Speak to someone before you leave and take that next step. Be prepared to take that next step. We stand as we sing.